0: Hello and welcome. I am your host, Kirsty, and this is Leadership Odysseys. We're embarking on a mission to bridge the gap between aspiration and reality, offering a raw and unfiltered exploration of the behind the scenes challenges that shape true leadership. Join us as we share stories of resilience, turning points, and authentic human experiences that remind us greatness is a product of the entire odyssey, not just the destination. Welcome, everyone, to Leadership Odyssey's podcast. In today's episode, we have the privilege of delving into the remarkable odyssey of Ron Wilson, a titan in Australian media with a media career spanning an impressive 50 years. Born in Northern Ireland, Ron's odyssey commenced at the tender age of 19 when he entered the realm of broadcast journalism at NTD8 in Darwin. Little did he know that this would mark the genesis of a journey that would lead him through various media outlets including 2SM, 2UE and WIN TV, ultimately shaping the nation's journalistic landscape. However, it was his role as a news presenter at Network 10 that capsulated him to household name status, where his distinctive voice became synonymous with delivering news with unwavering integrity. In addition to his extensive career in broadcasting, Ron has reported and presented from some of the biggest news events, becoming a trusted source for audiences seeking insights into the world's unfolding stories. Beyond the television screen, Ron Wilson emerged as a mentor and educator, sharing his wealth of experience through media training with political leaders, corporate executives, and budding journalists. His commitment to fostering media literacy showcases not only his dedication to the craft, but also his vision for nurturing the next generation of communicators. In a testament to his adaptability, Ron has also ventured into the realms of small business ownership showcasing the breadth of his talents and the resilience in the ever-evolving media landscape. So let's delve into conversation with Ron Wilson, the seasoned newsreader from Smooth FM, and unravel the wealth of experience that have not only solidified Ron as an Australian media icon, but have also crafted an extraordinary odyssey. Welcome, Ron, to Leadership Odysseys.
1: Well, thank you, but don't stop. Keep going. I'm enjoying this summary of my life. <laughs> it's awesome.
0: It's nice. It's one thing I like doing is doing a little bit of my own research and it's just spectacular when you pull it all together and you really realise what an odyssey it has been.
1: Well, it's an old saying that everybody has a story and it's really quite true. Uh, I actually had a little company with a friend of mine called Your Life Stories a few years ago and and it was designed for people who were getting on in years and you would literally sit in front of a microphone as we're going to do now and, and tell your life story And the idea was to pass that story down to your children and grandchildren because so often, you know, even my parents and I'm I'm an investigator, I'm a journalist, I'm a reporter and I know so little about my own parents and my own background. We came to Australia as immigrants and you lose that connection with your history and it's not until later on that you actually think, gosh, where did I come from? What am I? Who am I? When you're young, you tend to overlook these things and, you know, your brash lifestyle, you're just charging around and you forget all of that. And it's really quite interesting when you go back through. And that was the little company we started. And the stories people would tell, I would sit on the balcony outside of a house talking to a Tyler about his life story and how he met his wife. And, you know, they'd come from overseas, both of them from Austria. They had never known each other, had no family connection in Austria. They met up in Australia. They were together for a period as young people and then they split up and again they travelled the world and eventually they got back together again. But the story, it's like a movie when you just hear someone's story.
0: Oh, the energy that you just get going and listening right into someone's story and it's quite funny because I'm going to, let our audience know I am sitting here at your beautiful daughter's house, Ashley. And for our audience, just to to connect the dots. So Ron is the incredible grandpa to my very lively nephews, as Ashley is my sister-in-law. But before you came here this morning, Ashley and I were having a great discussion on sitting down with all of the grandparents in our lives mm-hmm. and being able to, to really take note of all of the stories and do a podcast on everyone to for our grandbabies to, well, to be able well, to yeah. share that journey and relive it.
1: That is true. And you know, it's funny when you think about your own life and your own story, it actually ties little ends together. Often you don't, you don't tie the ends together in your own life. You know, you, you blast through every day of your existence and sometimes you don't take time out to actually think, who am I? What am I? I'm talking about, you know, going back through history and back to the old country, if you like, and, and figuring that out. But sometimes it's much more personal than that. And you, you sometimes have to take stock of what you, you think. And I, I did a lot of TV commentary for Channel 7 over a number of years there as well, when I was already working on radio. Uh, but they were dealing with topics of the day. And, you know, sometimes you don't know what you think until someone says, what do you think? Because you don't put it together in your own mind. And sometimes when someone says, you know, what do you think? You pick a topic. I don't mind what the topic is. And you have to collate your own thoughts and think, this is actually what I think. And sometimes it can be different to what you think you thought, which sounds confusing. But it's it's actually true. You You, you get swept up in the general thoughts on life. Social media, of course, adds to that for so many people. Even conversations. And then you think do i really think that and sometimes you've got to think down and think my life experience leads me somewhere else and it, you sometimes have to take stock of what your own thoughts are which i know i know sounds a little confusing a little blasé even but you know we really ought to do that take some time out for ourselves and our own thoughts from time to time
0: i could not agree anymore and for someone, I know I've always struggled telling my story, but if someone asks me a question, I am like straight in there and I've got, <laughs> my, got my response. And I think that that's exactly, exactly what you said. It's that self-reflection. It's looking back and actually not only celebrating the wins that have happened, but how you've grown as an individual yep. during that journey. And that comes from a two-way dialogue most but of the time. But that's
1: a really important point because you, you no two people on this planet can think exactly alike because... All your decision making, all your thought processes, the way you feel about even the simplest things, it's all the result of every single experience you have every day of your life. And every time you experience anything, it kind of adjusts your thinking process ever so slightly. So if you put all that together, it would be impossible for us all to think the same. So consensus you have to be given take. Consensus doesn't mean we all think the same. Consensus means We're on the same path. We think a little differently. You give and take, and eventually you get to the end result.
0: Absolutely. And on that, we are now going to dive right into your journey because (laughs) I want to be able to learn so much more about you this morning. But I also want to be able to celebrate the 50 years that you have had in media. It's absolutely a legacy that you. Well, you know, age and
1: experience used to be something to be proud of these days. And, you know, you've got to be young and brash and. People don't, you know. When you say you've been in media fifty years, you become a dinosaur. It's, it, they don't look at the experience anymore; they just look at the age factor, and sometimes that's a little disconcerting.
0: Well, fifty years of exploring so much of life's journey within that media landscape. So let's go back and I'm going Hmm. to ask, where did your journey begin? Who is Ron Wilson?
1: I'm a little boy from Northern Ireland and my dad was a farmer and we were in the 1950s when I was born and there was still a lot of troubles between the north and south of Ireland. And we lived in a little town called Enniskillen, which is in County Fermanagh, which is the most southern of the northern counties. So there was still a lot of trouble there, shootings and bombings and the like. And um, my mother, uh, when she had me and my brother, we lived on farms. And through the circumstances that existed in Ireland at the time, she just said, we've had enough. We've got to get out of this. She wanted to bring up the kids somewhere safer. And they had the choice of Canada or Australia. And even though I'm from Northern Ireland, I am classified as a 10-pound POM because we came out as part of that British program. And uh, they had the choice of Canada or Australia and decided on Australia. And damn good decision if I...
0: Very good decision. Yeah, I
1: going to say. So we came to Australia and I was four and a half when we got here. And I was called Paddy until I was 10. And then no one could figure out why I was called Paddy anymore because I didn't have an accent. So that's the great thing about a child is you can lose your accent. And you just sort of blend into your new surroundings, which we did. My mother, she used to teach writing, surprisingly. Maybe that's the reason I ended up in the field I did. But my mother taught writing and she used to be lecturing students and she hated her Irish accent. And she went and took elocution lessons to try to lose the accent and all that. she just turned out sounding Canadian. So she never really succeeded in getting rid of the accent. And my dad, well, he was a brogue to the day he died. So, you know, I, I, he, the, the expressions used to come out with, my brother I still uses some of those expressions now. And I, in the back of my head, I hear my father and I think, oh dear, there we go. So, you know, that that's how we got to Australia. We came, to, when we first came to Australia, we were in central Victoria. The family settled there and dad moved back into dairy farming. So we did move around a little bit and we ended up in Geelong. My mother decided that I should, well, she actually took a, a job that worked all night It put me through a good private school. So we moved to Geelong to be closer to the school. And then there was a very bad drought in the early 60s that actually put them off the farm altogether. So my mother, now my, it's all complicated, but my my dad had some experience in building back in Ireland. And my mother actually put twelve families together, all with experienced, you know, carpenters and builders, and she subcontracted the whole lot to Civil and Civic and shipped them all to Darwin. And you know, she was just one of these driven women who, if she put her mind to it, could do anything. Sounds very so,
0: creative too. Uh, to that yeah.
1: Well, that's right. With the the writing, she actually before she put the the, the building crews together. She actually used to be a writer for programs like Division 4 and Homicide uh, out of Melbourne. And she was, she used to teach creative writing as part of the university in, in Geelong. And I was at school there. And, you know, all my life, I, I read and write for a living now. I call it contract writing. I can sit down, you give me a topic, and I can start writing about it straight away. It's just because in the sort of journalism I'm in, you don't have a choice on time. You don't have time to to sit back and think about it. I have to produce, think
0: that's a remarkable skill. <laughs> <life. laughs> I've got to reduce,
1: produce another bulletin from start to finish in 30 minutes from now. And you just put your, you know, you sit down and you can just literally start writing. Uh, but when I was a kid, I could not write or spell for love nor money. I just didn't have it in me. And then suddenly at year 10 in school, I just got the bug for reading. And I could, I was reading a book a day. It was just voracious when it came to reading. And uh, suddenly my writing changed and I could write essays and I expressed some interest in in a future in writing. And my English teacher at the time said, well, what we'll do is we'll take you down to the local newspaper and see if they'd be interested in doing something with you. And, you know, I'm a 16-year-old kid. So we went and saw the editor at the Geelong Advertiser at the time. And he said, well, obviously, I'm not going to give you any work to do because, you know, you're a kid, you've got no experience, but what I'll do is get you to write some letters to the editor. So I did that and he said, they're really good. So then he did give me some articles to write, but contract articles, You know, I want you to do a story on, not just go out there and come up with something. So I I wrote some articles and that's really where it all started for me. I went on to go to university and study law. Can I say I didn't like doing it and it wasn't the law I didn't like, it's Actually, lawyers, I had a problem. <laughs> I, couldn't work, I couldn't work alongside lawyers. So, by accident, almost because I was doing law studies at the time, we were in Darwin and I was driving taxis at night and doing law studies during the day. And, you know, uh, you it, it taxis, wasn't quite for you. Taxi driving wasn't going to be my future. <laughs> and a friend of mine, he actually worked doing a, a little kids show on NTD Channel 8 up there very rudimentary television. I mean, I'm talking basic television. This is, you know, a long time ago. Still all black and white, still all projectors, still all 16 mil film ads were voiced over and little slides. Anyway, he said, you know, I'm leaving. So do you want to come down and see the station manager? Maybe you could take over this little kid show. I said, yeah, of course I'll go down. So I went and saw Jim Toomey, who was the station manager down there. And my friend introduced me to him and said, you know, I'm leaving, but Ron might be able to take over. And he said, well, because we don't actually make any money out of your little kid show, but we are looking for someone to read a couple of minutes of local news at night. Would you be interested in doing that? And I said, give anything a go. So he gave me some scripts right there and then, believe it or not. And I went in and sat on the news desk and I read those scripts. And he said, come back in a week, take the scripts with you, go home and practice. We'll see if there's any because it's not really great at the moment. But, you know, when you're a kid and someone gives you scripts, script, sets you in front of a microphone and a camera and says, read this, it's really it's more complicated than it sounds. So anyway, I went away and I practiced for a week, went back, sat down, read the scripts and said, look, there's some improvement there, so we're going to give it a go because it's cheaper to train someone here than to bring up someone from down south. So uh, anyway, they, they, there was a lady who used to come up from Perth. It was owned by uh, NTD Channel 8. It was owned by Swan Breweries back then. And this lady used to come up from Earth every week and do this two-hour Wednesday afternoon show. And he said, oh, you know, I'll let you loose with her for a couple of weeks and we'll see if there's any." So that's what I did. I actually spent a lot of time with her over several weeks. And I became enamored with television. And I gave up the law almost straight away and started working for the TV station. And what a great grounding. I actually got the newsreading gig. I used to do studio camera. I used to do news camera. I I used to make the commercials. I used to sit on the panels and do audio and run the projectors. And it was just actually, it was like a learning process. Like you couldn't buy. There's no way you could get this experience anywhere else except in a tiny country station. And then, of course, Cyclone Tracy came through and that changed everything. Actually, I got into doing a little bit of radio up there while I was in Darwin as well. But- I think
0: just before you, you're really diving, because so I know that that's a, a pivotal part of your yeah. life journey as well. But the, I suppose you never... It's interesting how you didn't plan to be in media and you yeah. didn't plan any of this. It's through connection that a lot of these points have actually just naturally progressed to the next stage. And yeah, then the yeah. effort that you've put in in wanting that learning mindset of wanting to give everything a go and say yes to everything and just experimenting with it is phenomenal.
1: There's so many ways of expressing that. You've, you know, the old thing is you bite off more than you can chew and then you chew like buggery and see what happens. It's actually the same thing in life. I, I, I'm one of those people who tries not to stay too focused because I know, I know people who like to plan their lives implicitly and they set out five, even 10-year plans. I don't know what I'm having for lunch, let alone <laughs> five years from now. And I just think sometimes you can be a little blinkered on what's around you. You need to have very broad vision rather than long, narrow vision, in my experience. And that's the way I've lived my life. I mean, I go on holidays and I don't book anything because I'm scared I'm going to miss something good by booking. So we may book the first night and after that, it's open slather. We'll give it anything a go. And it's just, I I just find life um, offers you so much more when you're not trying to tell life how to do its job. You know, it's, I agree. Live in the moment, the sudden experiences, the stuff that you get just by accident. Is really what I think makes life f- fantastic.
0: I completely agree with that. And you're, you're really going through with your eyes wide open, aren't you? And just embracing yeah. not only what's happening in that day to day, but the energy that you're getting from other people, you know, bringing them into that space as well.
1: Yeah. Look, uh, they say, you know, you should surround yourself with positive people because you, you feed off their vibe, but that's vice versa too. You need to be a positive person and people enjoy being around you. They want to experience. If you offer uh, a, a bright view on life, if you're a positive per- person, people feed off that. People don't want to be around. If you're a downer all the time,
0: oh, it swells <laughs>
1: over people. It brings them down too. People want, they want to be lifted up by friends, by family, by work colleagues, by people around them. I go into work, people say, how's your day? And I'm saying, bloody fantastic. Every day is great. And you have to make it great. But if you have that positive outlook, you'd be surprised how great it just wants to be.
0: Absolutely.
1: So I'm, I'm all for that. And I, yeah, I, I do live a bit of an ad hoc sort of life.
0: That's okay. <laughs> I hope and it, it works. It well, works. It, it
1: has worked for me. I mean, back in my early years in journalism, I was a bit of a, a day trader, if you like. I would jump at every job opportunity that came up. But I started full time in media. Probably before, probably at 19 in Darwin. And then the cyclone came and I got out at Darwin some months after the cyclone came down to, to Sydney. We were, my mother and I came out. My dad was a builder. So he stayed on there. My brother had early entry to Australian national university in Canberra. He was the bright one in the family. So they shipped him out early in Darwin after the cyclone. Everyone that had somewhere to go, they would get you out. And it was some months after, but my mother and I came out to Sydney. And we went and stayed at the migrant hostel down at East Hills and the Salvation Army looked after us down there to get us back on our feet. Eventually I got a job uh, doing overnights down at 2WL in Wollongong and we moved down there. And, you know, eventually my dad came back down to the family, but he was up there for about five years as part of the building crews after the cyclone. So, you know, the, the cyclone had a big impact on the family. My brother, as I said, went to Canberra and he's been there ever since. He's brought up Five kids in Canberra, he loves it. For me, second prize is two weeks in Canberra, but,
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: but you know, Canberra's a fabulous place.
0: <laughs> oh, it sure is. We had a twelve months of living down there, and oh. it was a lot of fun. But twelve months was, you know, the right timing for us to then head back to Sydney. Yeah, but, uh... <laughs> that's right. <laughs> anyway.
1: But anyway, I, when when I got into uh, journalism, really on a full time basis, because I was doing disc jockey work, I was doing a few different things. But then I decided to focus just on news and I moved fairly rapidly. I went from a cadet, which is, you know, the, the very bottom rung, you're the one that gets the coffee and that sort of thing, at 19. And by 23, I was actually a super A grade journo, news director at TUE, which was a big jump over a very short period of time. But I fathomed that. The best way to get ahead in because there was no there was, you couldn't go and do a, a university course in journalism back then. There were no media courses. You actually it was a trade. You could enter the ground floor and you work your way up. So I constantly moved to get that extra step up the ladder. And each time I moved, I took that step. And I moved around quite a bit. But boy, oh boy, you you learn so much in those steps. And you only need to stay somewhere in those early days. You only need to stay somewhere long enough to ne- learn that job and then make the move to the next step. So I went through quite a few radio and TV stations to, to get to that level of 2UE and then I was back at 2UE for a while and then I moved to Channel 10. And I was fortunate enough to to get on the main news over there, so yeah. that was quite an experience.
0: Absolutely. It sounds like a, a incredible journey along the way and all happening quite quickly. Did you have any mentors or anyone behind the scenes that was really that soundboard for you during that time? Yeah, do you know
1: we didn't call them mentors then? They were just mates. They were people who, you know, there's an expression for everything these days. But, you know, honestly, back then it was rudimentary everything. We were still using typewriters with ribbons and carbon paper. And, you know, we'd go to even at 2UE where that was the news leader in the, the whole country back in those days. There's a guy called Gary Carr and I used to go and work the what they called the radio rooms at the back of the newsroom. And our job all day long was just to interview people, premiers, no matter whom. And it was all done on big, big reel-to-reel recorders. And the editing was done with razor blades and China gra- white pencils and sticky tape. And you'd put the, the whole the interview or the bit that you needed into a cart or a cartridge and you go into a news booth to read it. And I, you know, Sometimes I did a half hour news bulletin at um, midday and you would be carrying in this enormous stack of cuts and you had to read, you had to operate all the panels and microphones and you had to keep changing carts in the three machines. You know, it was like an octopus. And then people would be holding up scripts to the glass because this has just happened and you're reading through the glass window beside you. Honestly, it was just, it was a different world. And today everything is so digitized and computerized. When you look back at how we used to do it so basically, it was amazing. I'd go out and do 2SM back in those days. It was a rock and roll station, for heaven's sake. It was owned by the Catholic Church. We used to stop on Sunday evening and do our religious program on a rock and roll station and then get back into the rock and roll. But we had six news cars on the road for a rock and roll station back then. We had Steve Liebman, we had Brian White. We had some of the greatest names in media in Australia's history there at this rock and roll station. And it was just a dynamo of a place to work. It just happened. And, you know, if, if the Premier or any politician wouldn't talk to you about a topic, you would just go on air and say that they've refused to talk to us. Well, they'd be on the line in five minutes saying, yeah, we'll, we'll talk to you now. And that was just the tactic they used. It was fantastic. But anyway, I was out on the road a lot of the time as well. And to send back voice reports, we had these Nagras. Now, a Nagra real to reel recording device is actually a thing they use to record the audio on movies. It's a fantastic thing, but it weighs about 20 kilos. And you're hooking this thing around with microphones and all that sort of thing. And when you, you know, when we used to send back reports from out on the road, We'd go into the public phone boxes, which you don't really have the same ones these days. Everything's digitized. But if you unscrew the mouthpiece, the wires in there, we would take two alligator clips off the wires from the Nagra machine and clip them onto the, the wires in the public telephone. And then we would stand there with the thing dangling down and do our voice report and then push go on the Nagra recorder over there. And it would play down and you would get almost studio quality of this thing. And it was just, you know, I tell people in the media now how we used to do it. And they just, I'm sure they don't believe it. But it was...
0: Innovation is a very powerful thing.
1: Time passes, technology comes on. I've gone from, you know, in media, everything from, as I say, using razor blades to cut up uh, interviews to, you know, I I was on Channel 10 when the Gulf War broke out. And it's, you know, it it was just an amazing, well, you know, war is tragedy, but... It's an amazing time to be in media when that sort of thing is happening. And it had never happened like this before. But I was sitting there with earpieces in both ears. One ear was the producers and directors telling me what to do. The other ear was the interviews. And we just interviewed like for 12 hours straight. And it's gone from when I first started in media, when the Vietnam War was on, you would wait, they would shoot a little hundred mil, the cameraman would get out and they would shoot little hundred foot reels of black and white film. And it was put back in the case when it was shot and sealed. And they used to give these bags to the Qantas pilots to bring back here. And then they would be sent to the stations, developed. And if you got a story to air within a week after it's actually happening, you were considered sort of ahead of the pack. By the time we got to the Iran-Iraq, well, to the Iraq invasion, we were talking to journalists embedded with the front tanks using satellite phones racing across the desert you know the technology just moves yeah, so quickly and the things you can do now in media it's, it's really quite remarkable i work in a newsroom uh, at smooth fm where i i the, the equipment that i have i um, i look at computers to find my stories i write on one computer i send it to another computer and eventually it goes to air on another computer i couldn't even find you a pen or pencil in the newsroom I don't remember the last time I even read a newspaper, everything is so electronic and digitized, but the information moves ahead so quickly that if I read the papers and write something out of the papers, it's already old. You know, the listeners are ahead of what we are on half the time. How
0: do you stay ahead of that?
1: It's just access to information electronically. We have banks and banks of monitors. If I see something happening on CNN overseas or something in the BBC in England, I can see it go through and think I must get back to that. And I can continue with my work. And I've got the things on my computer, the apps, to be able to go back and pinch all that stuff and then bring it across onto my computer system and rework it and it becomes our story. So you just have to kind of think in the moment and try to pull things forward all the time. It, it actually baffles me sometimes to figure out how we can get this stuff. But you do and it has to be instant there's no you know if a story went to air yesterday it's already too old to tell you about it today because even the listeners you you've got access to so much information on your mobile devices that often you're you're ahead of the news you're listening to on radio or TV yeah you... so it's a challenge an absolute challenge for us and people often say, you know where does media go where does news go from here That's
0: the fact I is
1: am. I actually don't know because I look from where it's come and each step of the way you think oh How did it get there? How did it get there? How did it get there? But information has a way of recreating itself and creating its own channels. And, you know, you're actually taking, absorbing so much information all the time these days that I'm sure it addles your brain.
0: And I'm sure within that information, it's also what you're adding to that information personally, how you're delivering it. That's actually true because
1: years ago I was in a taxi and the taxi driver said to me, why do you always call American or Australian soldiers soldiers and you always call Iraqi or um, uh, or rebels or some other expression, militants? And I said, I didn't actually know how to respond to him. He said, you're always very biased in that way. And I thought, Do you know, it is a biased way of presenting something and you don't even know you're doing it. You're just talking about Australian troops. You're talking about British troops. You're talking about American troops. The others become militants or terrorists or something like that, even though in their country, they're just soldiers.
0: Exactly. Same as they,
1: our soldiers are our soldiers. And you actually often are biased without even knowing it. It's a real challenge. And of course, see, all of us will have political affiliations. An election is like a minefield because you, you will let your political leanings influence your thought process. And it's, you have to work so hard to keep it down the middle. You're trying to offer... The views of both sides as carefully and as unbiased as you possibly can, and I've got to tell you, it's so difficult that you even create bias and by not telling you something, I'm creating a bias. So you know you could, you're obviously can be very biased in what you're telling people, but you can be just as biased in what you omit, and that you know bias is everywhere, and we don't even know it, we don't realize it. Uh, and, you know, sometimes you have to think outside what you're actually being presented and think for yourself. Social media, again, I'm not the biggest fan. I use social media endlessly, but I, I realize the pitfalls of it because so often you're being influenced by people who are often no knowledge of the subject. They just have a view and they push this view And, you know, you can be influenced by that and wrongly influenced by it.
0: Absolutely. No, I do very much agree with that. And gosh, it must be very, very difficult for the whole entire media industry to be able to share the voice of others and not just what you're thinking in that moment.
1: Yeah, it's quite true. But you can almost always, Mm. there there is great bias in media. I have no doubt about that. You can see it. You you hear it all the time. There There are various media outlets that target one side of the political, political spectrum or the other, one group of people, one ethnic group, whatever. it happens everywhere. even on social media there are algorithms there. If you look up Donald Trump all the time it'll start feeding you information about Donald Trump. If you know you, you pick a subject and you know the algorithms will actually feed you what it thinks you want to hear. So my gosh, I don't know how you. I got no idea how you even start to overcome that sort of thing.
0: It's very scary, actually. I I think about it. The conversations you have just even around the dining table at home Mm. and then how everything just starts popping on your phone as soon as you go back onto social media. Great,
1: great topic. You know, (laughs) people don't realize they, they hold this thing in their hand and that's called a phone, but it's actually a transceiver. It transmits and receives all the time. That's why if you even have your phone on and you get lost in the bush, they can track you down just by doing triangulations. because. Your phone is always seeking and sending. So I just don't think that people understand that, that your phone is always in contact with the outside world, even when you've got it turned off. Uh, and it's, it's a transceiver. It's not a phone at all. It's it's a two-way transmission device. And it's always listening. Always. It's
0: always listening. <laughs> can,
1: can I just say it's always listening. Let's talk about holidays and see what we get coming That's up right. on the line. We're going to be
0: booking some nice That's holidays a, after this conversation. Exactly. <laughs> well, let's go back to Channel 10. It really was a pivotal point of your career. It was, you know, you became this household name. I remember as a child, you know, watching you. Oh, on come on.
1: You're not that young.
0: <laughs> I do. And I remember, you know, hearing the news that was always on in the background back when you didn't have Netflix yeah. and everything else. And you really had your standard. Channels to tune into, but having that, you really became part of the households here in Australia.
1: Yeah, well, when you say it was a pivotal part of my career, it was actually a huge, part, enormous part of my career. I was there Absolutely. for 34 years in total. And, you know, I covered everything from Good Morning Australia with Carrie Ann Kennelly, Katrina Lee, who was the, the first, well, it was actually Sue Smith before her, but people don't seem to remember Sue. Katrina Lee is considered the first real prominent female newsreader on television and she and I read together, there was a saying at one stage it was in the media that I had read with every woman who'd read news on TV, which which was kind of almost true. And there's a lot of, you know, Sandra Sully, this is endless numbers. And I, I actually enjoyed, back in the early days, Channel 10, after Eric Walters, he was one of the last solo male newsreaders, And Channel 10 actually brought consultants out from America to teach us to relate to someone sitting beside you reading the news. Yeah, I've spoken before there about, you know, reading scripts in front of a microphone or camera for the first time, how difficult it is. But, you know, relating to someone sitting beside you, viewers can, you can never lie to a viewer. You're not getting on with the person beside you or if there's some tension, it comes through. I don't know how it does, but it's, yeah, but it's. I, I don't know, there's just a chance that things aren't quite right. But if you can get on with someone really well beside you, uh, it's actually a skill.
0: Oh, it is a skill. And, I, and generally just getting to really know someone too. Like oh, yeah. That's a, that's a partnership. That's thing. this bonding
1: thing that they, you know, they talk about. They used to send us away for weekends, go and get to know each other and, you know. And Quality sometimes, sometimes that works, sometimes oh. it doesn't. Sometimes it makes things worse. But uh, yeah so I was there for a long time, and yeah, it was great. I love television free to air television's probably not quite a was. Well, we used to be able to get four hundred thousand viewers for a bulletin at night. Uh, these days in Sydney it can be down as low as forty two thousand on smooth FM where I am at the moment, just in Sydney alone, we can have one point two one point three million listeners a week. Radio is still extremely strong, but All the streaming services and all the other access you have to programs and, you know, visual stimulus has taken away enormously from free to air television. In fact, I just wonder sometimes how they manage to keep things on air because the viewers are just missing in action. Because television is an expensive thing to produce. You can't, you know, you can't sit at a table with a couple of microphones and put a program together. There's an enormous number of people put together to put together a TV program. Even a regular news program, you know, you've got dozens of people involved.
0: Oh, and the skill required and just, yeah, the the sheer production of it all.
1: But I love television. I actually found that I always felt like I had a good relationship with viewers. I tried to, when you're reading a script or interviewing people or talking to people, you always try to ask the obvious question. Sometimes you can know too much when you're interviewing. If you know the whole story, you don't ask the most basic of question, which the viewer or listener... Might be the thing they're after. I mean, you, once you get into the highfalutin side of a of, of a big discussion, you're missing some of the basic points, and there's a lot of people who aren't maybe on the same level of information as you are, and they're just missing out. And the moment you do that, you cut them off. So sometimes you need to get back to basics to keep everyone engaged. You don't have to talk down to people. Don't ever do that. But you know, just make sure everyone's being brought along for the ride. And bringing people along for the ride is kind of business acumen as well as just sure dealing is. with an audience it's it's about keeping people on the side and developing that relationship and if, once you have that trust with both viewers listeners star it all works in the same way i've done some bloody stupid things in front of a, a television camera but i've got away with it because i've always tried to keep on side with the viewer, so they're not sort of saying well what a dickhead he is and you you know sometimes they do actually feel that about people but if you can have a laugh along with them and bring them along for the ride they're accepting it and you can go back to a very serious role and they'll still trust every word and you know I think that's really really key to dealing with audiences.
0: I suppose how have you handled some of those confronting conversations that you might have had during I mean you definitely have during your journey? Oh
1: you definitely have you have conversations that Gay and lesbian Mardi Gras was a great example. I got pilloried over the way I framed a question to one of the organisers. It's mm-hmm. years ago now, but I was actually asking him, "What do you say to people who say, you're just doing, you know, it's a sexual exploitation in the streets of Sydney?" That was, but the connotation to him was that I thought that, yeah. and the moment, and then there was a pile on because people had never even seen it piled onto it, and it, be, it, it explodes out of all hand. And that's how misinformation can spread so easily as well. You know, it it can be quite difficult in interviews. Bob Hawke used to be a great one. You'd interview him. And if you didn't know your subject inside out, he would just wipe you clean. And he didn't care about laying you in the aisle. If you was, you know, if he thought you were stupid, he would tell you, you were stupid. And I've actually dealt with a number of interviewees over the years. You have to know the subject. If you go in there and just try to wing it, they're going to rip you to shreds and also you're missing the obvious stuff that you should be talking about.
0: That's right. And just like really listening to their responses as well so that you you really can understand where they're coming from with their perspective.
1: Yeah, there's nuances in in discussions with people. Uh, When you were sitting here like face-to-face, I can pick up expressions on your face. I can see your body movement in audio like we're doing or on radio TV, not so much because you've you've got the the added advantage of visuals, but when you're dealing with radio or audio production, it's it's difficult. And again, we'll go back to social media. This is one of the difficulties with social media. You're not getting the nuances of a conversation. you're seeing the words, but in, in if you express them differently uh, audibly or visually or whatever, it's going to be completely different to what the words actually appear to be on the page. And it's a real danger when you, you you know, you think you're being funny and someone can take terrible offense at what you've said. You, you know, you can think you've said one thing and it comes out completely different just because of the lack of nuance in the words that you're using. So, yeah. The
0: so much to think through. Media,
1: anything to do with communication is just, you've you've got to really, there's a far more to it than just standing up and opening your mouth.
0: Yeah. Oh. I can only, only imagine. And, you know, I I suppose for yourself outside of all of that, when you do reflect back on that time, what would you say then would be your biggest highlight?
1: Talking to Miss Piggy.
0: Talking to Miss Piggy. I'm intrigued. Yeah, well,
1: (laughs) um, many, many years ago when Jim, I've forgotten his name, he, he started, the whole Kermit the Frog, Miss Peggy, the whole thing. Anyway, I was working on Good Morning Australia with Carrie ann Kennelly, and we. You know, it was actually a lot of fun doing a show like that because you just never know what was coming up next. You'd have Les Patterson, Barry Humphreys coming in, and Les, uh, his sort of character, I mean, for people that don't know, Les used to sit on the cheese board, and he would often cut the cheese, literally, in the studio. And... He would be dribbling down and his tie would be a mess and he wore these false teeth and he had red blotches all over his face and he just knew no bounds. I'd be reading a news bullet and he would just come over and sit beside me and say, what are you reading here? And it was just just a man out of control. But Miss Piggy is the highlight. In fact, I've even put stuff up on Facebook. I've still got some old video of it. Kerry-Ann Kennelly were sitting there and I'm sitting there and Miss Piggy's in the middle. And you would swear you're talking to a real person. And the wit of these people that were operating the puppets was just astounding. And the problem is with the character that is so full of life as that puppet, you, you actually it takes on an actual persona. You th- believe you're talking to a person and you're not even talking to the puppeteer sitting lying on the ground with his hand up Miss Piggy's whatever. <laughs> and you're not even talking to him. You actually start talking to Miss Piggy. And the reactions are just so engaging to this day. I love that. And maybe I've got a thing about puppets because back I was working at RVN two down in Wagga, and this is a long time ago. I was only 20 years old at the time and the station manager down there, James Cook, who I'm still in contact with today, he and I used to do a puppet show. Apart from reading the news and doing commercials and everything else you do a part of TV, we used to do a puppet show and he would have me in stitches. And to this day, those two things working with. Puppets is the most fun I've ever had on television.
0: Well, I wasn't expecting that, and yeah, I think uh, that well, is very you know if you're talking fun. Yeah, that's
1: actually if I could do a puppet show full time, I think I probably would. Well,
0: <laughs> I might hold you to that. I think no. that definitely all the kids need a, a good puppet show. So that's well, something we might. The great have to
1: thing do. about puppets, you <laughs> operate on two levels. You operate on the kids' level, and then there's all the innuendo. And it it can be so entertaining without being smutty or overt. I actually really love the puppets because they they deliver to two separate audiences at once.
0: Like just thinking it through now out loud, but like when I suppose a, a puppet, as you said, is that this persona that they're actually building, it's removing judgment almost from an individual person and therefore... Yeah, I don't know, that maybe there is that sense of connection. that. Well, can
1: you there. imagine the puppeteer having to be able to deliver not his view on life, but the puppets? I mean, if you're doing Kermit the Frog, you have to live life as a green person. If you're doing Miss Piggy, you can imagine what you've got to be living life like. And the responses are so on target for what Miss Piggy would have actually said that you just, you become completely engrossed. It's incredible. I loved it. Oh, well.
0: As I said, wasn't expecting it. And I think that's absolutely remarkable and mm. a lot of fun. So I'm going to Google that afterwards to, to yep. see what I can I'll find. I'll send you the image. <laughs> Would love to. And then so within your journey, you, you've had this 35 years hmm. at Channel 10. And I remember watching your final episode on Channel 10 and everyone in the building standing up as you, you finish that episode. Yeah, You're going to have to tell me, what was that like?
1: Oh, you don't make me! Don't make me well up. Uh, you get very teary when you've been doing something. I think well, the thing about media, television, radio—it's a very personal product. You know, if you're selling retail, you're selling cans of soup, you're selling hamburgers, you're selling whatever. It's something that's over there. But in media, you're actually selling yourself. You're giving yourself. You are the product. You take criticism not always well. You take praise very well. So it, it's a much more personal thing that you might than you might imagine. And I think that that's really what gets into you. You actually, you rely on a team, television even more so than radio, but if you've worked with a team for, you know, a decade, you, you, you've gone on picnics with their families, you do Christmas day together, even with work colleagues, they become more than just people you go to work with. You rely on them and you become friends with them and you spend, as they often say, they just spend more time at work with those people than you do at home with your your wife or your husband. Become part of your family. So that's actually true. And we often refer to the family. And back then, my eldest son, he worked at Channel 10. My youngest son used to never not be at Channel 10. He was there all the time. Ashley, I'm sure she was there a few times. I know the lady I work with on radio at the moment, Bogart Torelli, actually said to Ashley years ago, if you'd like to get into radio, I'll give you a hand. But I don't know. Ashley, oh, I'm going to work
0: on that Ashley, one then. Ashley. And
1: I met my wife in television, and she worked at Channel 10 before I did. So, you know, it, it, when you say family, they literally, really literally, yeah. Yeah, well, it's but I very think it's, special. Well, you know, that can happen in any business. Nepotism is always a, a problem you've got to avoid, but relationships are difficult. And, of course, most people seem to use online methods of catching up with someone else these days. But, you know, when there was no mobile phones, there was no internet, you either met people at work, you met them at the pub, or you met them at a sport. And that was kind of the the way you met people. And there were a lot of station romances
0: <laughs> one way
1: or another through the years, but you don't see it so much now because companies frown on it, really. It, it can be, can cause issues in the ranks. And, you know, there are other ways of meeting people now. And people say, oh, how else am I going to meet someone? I have to go online. Well, that's the way we do it or used to do it. And now you've actually got this added advantage of being able to meet someone and, you know, reaching a much broader audience, if you want to call it that, when you're dating online.
0: Definitely agree. I mean, I met my husband working when we were 17 in McDonald's and still some of our closest friendships from that time. Interesting, was It is very interesting when you actually do look back and kind of reflect on that. It is, you know, whether similar interests, whether, but I truly do believe exactly as you said, you're spending quality time with them. Mm. You're spending a lot of time in the environment, getting to know each other, all the social things. Emotional you,
1: roller coasters, the the highs, and highs and lows. And lows. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, that you, you see it all and you, you truly do build very special bonds. And yeah, some of those friendships that I've had, a, a lot of the friendships I hold in my life that are, are truly, really special from my work relationships.
1: Well, you have that in common too.
0: Yes, very true. So you've wrapped up. An exceptional 35 years, did you say? Yeah, yeah. channels Channel 10. Had nothing
1: else to do at the time. And so like said,
0: That's huge in itself. I, I You didn't take much downtime, but you, you know, taking that big shift in life and you did have some transitions and I know you've always had little businesses on the side as well, but small business really mm. became a thing after that for you well, as well. Well,
1: not so much after that. It always has. When you work in media, you're only popular for the length of your contract at the end of the year you know, if the audience tastes change very quickly, management, you know, they can want to reel things in or change things around very quickly. And there's not a lot of newsreaders jobs out there. (laughs) So I've always just had something going on in the background in in case I needed to fall back on it. I've, I've had concrete companies, I've had publishing companies, I've had television production companies, I've I just can't even think of half the things I've had anymore. I've got, I've got a burger joint at the moment. I mean, you just there's always something in the background just in case I needed it. But in the, I've, I, well, fortunately, I've never really needed it. But it's really quite interesting because having spent 34, 35 years in the one job, really, or with the one employer, people say, don't you get bored with it? Well, I've actually got so much going on outside that I never got bored with it. In fact, it was almost a relief to go to work, get rid of, get away from all the rest. So yeah, I, I actually think it broadens your horizon. It gives me, if I'm talking, I have a better understanding now when, if if the decisions are made with my employer, I have a better understanding of why those decisions are being made because I may have had to make them myself. And I understand that, you know, business environment changes continually. You You need to make adjustments and, you know not that I ever have been sacked, but if I'm moved around or changed, I actually can understand their reasoning for it. I don't take it as personal. It's business. And there's really two different things. Unfortunately, media is a personal business, but at the end of the day, it is business. And you know, you're a fool if you go in there and think that I'm a star and I'm going to be here forever. I've seen that in the past and people literally just disappear and never to be heard of again. So you've, in that sort of business, I've always had something in the background, but I think small business. It's quite you know, it's an enormous challenge.
0: I want to take a moment to introduce you to Naturally Gloom Free, where lifestyle meets quality. Naturally Gloom Free is a boutique bakery committed to crafting exceptional gluten-free products that are produced with high quality, natural ingredients and free from all additives and preservatives. When you are seeking to transform your menu or source a premium gluten-free product, Naturally Gluten-Free invites you to connect with them via their website, naturallyglutenfree.com.au. What are some of the challenges that you face?
1: Well, small businesses tend to live from sometimes week to week, but definitely month to month. If you're living year to year in a small business, you are doing bloody well. People often think because you've got your own small business that you're just rolling in money. It just ain't true. You Mm -hmm. risk everything. Every time you apply for anything, you know, you're putting your home at risk. You know, if there's no money left in the, in the kitty at the end of the week, it's not your workers who miss out. It's you. Mm -hmm. So the challenges in getting a business set up and the, the, the figures for failure in the first year, year and a half of small business is just astronomical. And then you have a thing like COVID come along and. That just dumped so many people that you just wonder how small business can ever get back on their feet. Even even now, you know, in 2024, I'm, I, you drive down a street and there's just shop fronts empty everywhere. The, the environment for small business can change so quickly that you on the whim of the government. You, you tighten monetary policy, you change interest rates. Every single decision by government, and I'm talking about all three tiers of government, can have a massive impact on small business. And you just, there's nothing else to rely on. Like in a big business, you can say, oh, well, we can amortize this out over the group. We can, you know, make adjustments over there, whatever. Small business card, it's you. That's and exactly that's it. Right. And th- there's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to hide. You take all the risk yourself. Banks, I see banks advertising, you know, we're with you here, we're with you. No, they bloody are not. They're there for themselves. And they're big operators and they can, they can afford to either dump you or call stuff in or whatever. But as a small business, there's none of that. You just, you, survival every day is the challenge in small business.
0: Oh, I could not agree anymore. It is really tough. And, you know, coming out of COVID and even the backlash of things that, you know, small business owners need to consider within that space that they put on hold, but doesn't mean it's going away or there's just so many changes consistently with what's happening with government, but it is it's such high risk and it takes a lot of internal resilience to really, I yes. has the muscle to keep pushing through sometimes within that environment for so many.
1: But, you know, for a lot of people, just getting out of bed in the morning is a challenge when you have a small business because you just know you're going to hit this wall again today and tomorrow and tomorrow until you finally break through. And it, it, it can just be awful. It can rip families apart. There's no question of that. You know, it can rip lives apart without any trouble. The challenge, and I, I don't know, I just I have a bit of a gripe about the way small businesses is, is treated. And, you know, there's a, nobody takes risks with small business. I was talking about the banks there a moment ago. There's no way in the world a bank will take a risk on a small business. The risk is all your side. And if your business fails, you're on the street.
0: What would be your advice to small business owners as, you know, that if they're going through a tough time yep. as to how to get some sort of support out there?
1: Be flexible and ask for help. Especially ask that there are actually, even if you are in real trouble financially, there are ways out and don't be embarrassed. It's, we've said it before, it's just business. And it's more important that you protect your family and your own life than it is to protect the business. And no matter how bad the thing looks, go and get advice from someone who really knows what they're doing. And there is always, always a way out.
0: Great advice to be able to share. And and I agree, I think just having conversations, sometimes if you're nearest and dearest as well, to get their opinions and their advice and to be able to rally that community together to, to actually help you. Yeah, well,
1: it's it's actually in law, there, there are protections. No one wants to go bankrupt. No one wants to call in liquidators. No one wants to do all of that, but it's all available and it will in the end, protect you and your family. Your life is more important than a small business and you know, the community, if you can rally some support from the community to, you know, come to your aid, that's fantastic. But the community's busy looking after itself too. So you can't always rely on other people. You you have to take the initiative. You need to be flexible. You need to be prepared to step away. You know, a lot of small businesses are built on passion. People are doing it because it's what they really love. And it can be very difficult to say, yeah, no, this is over and hand it away. But sometimes you simply have to do it.
0: You sure do. Well, for you, you, you juggle a lot and you juggle the small business. You, you know, you're reading the news with a Smooth FM And, you know, you mentioned at the very beginning about living in the moment and and having as much fun as you can with the life that we've all been given. Yeah. How do you balance it all? Because there is a a lot happening there for you.
1: You know, someone once said to me, don't concentrate on the stuff that has to be done. Concentrate on the stuff that doesn't have to be done because the stuff that has to be done will get done. So it's so easy to overlook the the things in your life that you really love. Spending some time with family, taking little breaks. They're the stuff you don't have to do. The stuff that you have to do will somehow always get done. They say, you know, if you want a job, don't give it to a busy person. That's actually in a way true because a busy person will have to have organized in their mind, their schedule, their day, the way they do things. So honestly, my credo is concentrate on the things you don't have to do to make it work.
0: Love that. And it makes sense now reflecting on, you know, you and and seeing you, you know, from that personal perspective in life as well. So uh, yeah, I think that's some great advice to be able to pass on. And you show up as well to the world with, you know, mention again that that energy and you know, just got this genuine calmness around you that really does happen. From a mindset and resilience perspective, you've had a lot. During your journey, when you you reflect on everything from Darwin, and, and I don't oh, think yeah. you really mentioned, but you lost your I family have, home. Yeah, in that
1: um, you lose a lot in a, in a, a cyclone Tracy. I, I have difficulty talking about it because I actually do suffer PTSD from that, and I end up blubbering. And I've done it on television. I did it, self done it so many times on television. I don't mean to. And You're talking from the heart. Well, well, actually, it, there's an inner heart there somewhere. When you suffer PTSD. It's not your uh, front of mind that's dealing with you. It's just subconscious that takes control. And I believe it's from the medical type people. I, I believe it's like some preservation device that's in your body, self protection that won't let you go there
0: mm. because
1: you need to keep your mind will get bogged down.
0: Yeah. I can just horrific what you've actually.
1: Well, that, is, yeah, but in that again, part. but then even it's yeah. an experience of life, and if you can actually put it to good use rather than uh, become bogged down by it, then you put it on the you know the upside of life. I was nineteen through uh, cyclone Tracy, and it changes everything about your life, absolutely everything, but it also gives you a chance to see what you're made of.
0: And it gives you empathy to really oh, as well yeah. to understand others going through difficult times.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, still gets to me.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to move past that one. And from that that day-to-day of, of building resilience, is there, within your lifestyle, is there, you know, what do you do for yourself?
1: Family. I, I think, so. you know, you talk about resilience, what do you do for yourself? To me, the meaning of life is family.
0: Love that. Love every element of it. And- What's future, Wrong. got in oh,
1: store? At my age, <laughs> I've got to work quickly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping there's more like lots of holidays in uh, there look, and some, well, honestly, some time out.
1: yes, I have a bit of a milestone coming up this year and we're thinking of maybe taking a, a little trip overseas. We've recently purchased, well, we, well, the intention was to rent it out on Airbnb, but we, well, we recently purchased a little property down on the Hawkesbury River to the northwest of Sydney and that's taking up way too much of our time and every time we discuss putting them back out for rental we think of an excuse not to so we're we're trying to discover ways of how we can set up a studio out there so i don't have to go into the city every day so there's all kinds of possibilities but you know honestly i just enjoy life so much that i i don't have any ambitions that i can actually articulate i can't tell you this is this is a challenge i still want to do i I don't have a particular bucket list I'm going around ticking off. I think that, again, bucket list, it's lovely to have a bucket list, but do you see yourself as achieving something by ticking off that or not achieving something by not ticking something off your bucket list? I'd rather not have a bucket list. I want life to give me its bucket list and and just see what happens.
0: Well, I hope it starts slowing down no. a little bit for you no, a little no. bit. I hope it does so that you can enjoy some quality time. I enjoy quality family. time and
1: I love running.
0: Ah, uh, that is Spot on, and you have had a very fast-paced, enjoyable, productive life, and you should be so exceptionally proud. I am
1: indeed. Thank you.
0: Ron, I am going to ask for words of wisdom that you can pass on to our next generation of leaders, founders, communicators as they want to enter the media world. What would be some advice you'd give someone in life?
1: Well, uh, let's deal with the business side. Um, I, I think if you want to be a leader, you need to be seen to be a leader and you need to lead from the front too many people run businesses from the top floor and their staff never see them it's carrot and stick if you give people the way forward they will take it if you lead them forward they will take it if you try to push them it's a whole different ball game in business so and the other thing in business is you need to work on your business not necessarily in your business You don't need to do the menial menial tasks. You need to know how your business runs, absolutely. But you need to have the overview and make sure the business is tidy. Keep it all together. Make the bigger decisions, not the, the little decisions all the time. So work on your business, not necessarily in your business. And in life, just go out and grab it.
0: Great advice to be able to pass on there, Ron, and just want to say it has been an absolute pleasure having you join me on Leadership Odysseys. Your odyssey truly has left a legacy in the media landscape, and it's not just a story of a seasoned journalist. It's a testament to resilience, adaptability, and a passion for storytelling that has left an indelible mark on the Australian media. So thank you, Ron, for sharing your wealth of experiences Insights and invaluable lessons learned throughout your remarkable 50 year career. Your journey truly inspires us to navigate challenges with tenacity and to embrace the ever-evolving world of media.
1: Courtesy, my pleasure. Thank you.
0: Thank you for joining us on this incredible Odyssey. Until next time, lead with courage. Lead with heart and keep exploring the remarkable world of leadership. Enjoyed the journey? Hit the subscribe button, rate us, and leave a review if our stories ignited your leadership spirit. Your feedback fuels our odyssey.